You're listening to Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. they've stood for will now be put to the test star trek 3 the search for spock the word sir the word is no i am therefore going anyway you do this you'll never sit in the captain's chair again engage auto systems clear all mornings cleared sir one quarter impulse power someone is stealing the enterprise warp speed we're a sitting duck Join us on this, the final voyage of the Starship Enterprise. Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. The adventure continues. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us once again. This is Greg, and happy 57th birthday, Star Trek. We are... Yeah! applause for Star Trek! 57th birthday... <laughs> So happy Star Trek Day, everybody. This is being recorded on September 6, 2023, which is the 57th birthday of Star Trek in Canada. So we're recording it, Star Trek Day Canada. It premieres, drops, as the kids say these days, on Star oh, Trek oh, Day USA, September 8, 2023. And uh, hey, everybody, besides that it's Star Trek Day, stay tuned because we have a special announcement at the end of the show. Um, so, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to like take that you guys for the honor system aren't going to now just go and take your fingers to scroll it to the end of the show so that you can hear that announcement. But Hey, uh, this is also our second bonus show, our post season, well, our post season one bonus show and pre season two bonus show. So it's always great to, uh, talk to you guys while we're on a break, kind of a little sneak in here now. We are going to meet the guests in a very interesting way tonight because we have with us um, a follow-up panel, if you will. Our regular panelist, Dan Hulley, who was scheduled on the show, couldn't be here tonight, but that's okay. The guests are. And it's a very interesting way that I'm going to introduce this to you. So we have three different kinds of Star Trek watchers on tonight that fit perfectly in the role of you, Rod Barnes. They fit Perfectly together. That's First, perfect. we have a fly-by-night Star Trek watcher who watches Star Trek when we ask him to, Mr. John Seymour. What's up, John, and welcome back. How do you do, Greg? And it's uh, it's always such a pleasure to watch these movies because I don't I don't watch them in one sitting. It's it's virtually <laughs> impossible. So I watch them over like three or four days, but I get it done. I get the job done. You get the job done, and we love having you here anyway, John. Okay, now for the second of this three different Star Trek watching panel, the lifelong Star Trek fan, Mr. Oh. Rod Barnes. The Incomparable's back. What's yeah. up, Rod? Yeah, what up, what up, what up? The Incomparable Rod Barnes is here. And now the new 
Star Trek fan. So you see what we did there? We have a fly-by-night, we have a light yeah. bulb, and we have a new Star Trek fan, and that is the form of Kyle Bain. What's up, Kyle? Welcome back. Hello, hello. This is my third time on this show. About two months ago, I didn't think I'd ever watch anything Star Trek, and here I am for the third time, and I'm loving every minute of it. That's great. That's great. And uh, it's fantastic to have you all here. Well, we went into this podcast knowing that we were going to review all 13, that's 13 so far, Star Trek films. And we're doing them a little out of order, but there's kind of a method to our madness because we started with the essentials. And now, what does that mean? The essentials that we started with, again, we didn't plan to ever do them in order we had a method to our madness in doing them out of order. The essentials we've already done. We've done all four of them. They are Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, Star Trek The Undiscovered Country, that's Star Trek VI, and Star Trek First Contact are the ones that are considered universally beloved by everybody, fans and non-fans alike. When you look at the yep. film we're going to do today, this is the first one we're doing that's known to be a lukewarm film. And I'm very interested to hear what these folks have to say. I know I have some things to say. And, hey, with less people on the panel, I'll be able to say a little bit more because I do have things to say. So what is the lukewarm movie I'm referring to? I'm referring to Star Trek III, The Search for Spock from 1984, who was directed by Mr. Spock himself, Leonard Nimoy. And with, with that title before him, it's obvious how they got him to return. Uh, it was written and produced by Harv Bennett with a score by James Horner, a running time of one hour and 45 minutes. And to put it in today's money, this money caught this movie cost 16 million to make and grossed 87 million at the box office. I must note before we get started, this movie review is being done in the style of happiness and darkness, the superhero movie podcast and gold standard, the Oscars podcast, but never fear DJ Nick, the host of both those podcasts is our all-around tech guy on this show, and he has assured me that it is okay. And let's face it, if he was going to sue me, he would have already. But what am I really doing when I make this announcement? I'm really saying for you to check out those two podcasts, Happiness and Darkness and Gold Standard, hosted by our very own DJ Nick. Find them wherever you get your podcast, folks. Okay, let's get into the movie review at hand. General impressions of Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Starting with you, John, what were your general impressions of this Star Trek adventure? Well, I have to say, you've, you've said that this movie kind of got a lukewarm reception. and It sure did. Uh, and I was watching it, and I'm like, okay, I watched Wrath of Khan. I thought that movie was pretty good. And then I started watching this one, and I'm like... Yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling it as much as I was with the Wrath of Khan. Um I didn't think it was a bad movie. I thought it had a good story. I just thought that the execution wasn't that great. So, uh you know, Greg is there like nodding so hard that I feel like his head is going to fall off. So like he's I'm saying all the stuff that he's been thinking for decades probably. But um yeah, to me like it, it was like okay, I thought I was going to see more Spock. I thought it was going to be like a, a bit more of an interesting movie. I didn't think it was that great. It was okay. I was like, as far as sequels go, it kind of closed the story for me, which was cool, you know, wonderful. 
Uh, I thought it could have been done in like a half hour Christmas special. So <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's that's my take on it. Okay, very good. Yes, I was nodding my head, and we'll find out why when we get to me. Um, okay, uh, Rod, you are yes. a lifelong Star Trek fan. We're going back to 1984 now. You've waited two years. You saw the Wrath of Khan. You were there. I mean, you were yep. literally there. So now yep. Star Trek Three comes out. You see the film. I guess you can mix between first time and now. What are your general impressions of The Search for Spock? Um, well, I'll tell you this much. When I first saw it, way the hell back in uh, 1984, I loved it. I enjoyed it. It was great. I enjoyed the fact that uh, that uh, Spock came back. I mean, I still remember the, the audience freaking out when they finally saw Spock coming back. I enjoyed it when uh, the, the Kirk dealt with uh, Krug the only way he could, especially after that Klingon bastard killed his son. I, it, it hit all the points. It hit all the feels that all the fans were going for. And plus, at the same time, the fact that, oh, wait, this is the first time, as far as most people knew, that Leonard Nimoy was directing the whole thing. This was like a win-win for anybody that was seriously trekking at this point. So this was basically a win-win. The sad part is, as time went on, yay, hooray, and then a few more years, Yay. Right. <laughs> and then before. <laughs> and then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was there. It was good. You got his money. We're happy. So it's. Yeah. Now you understand why it became lukewarm. But mm -hmm. anybody that, that still loved Star Trek story wise and, and continuity wise. It was a home run. Absolutely. And uh, Kyle, you are up. Yeah. Um, so I watched it the other day, and uh, my immediate reaction was, this is better than Wrath of Khan. Um, I was... Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> and the more, I, the more I think about it, the less I think that. Um, <laughs> I still... Oh. I, I, by the end of this, uh, this podcast, maybe I'll, maybe I'll decide how I really feel about it. Um, there's things I really loved about it. There's things I really hated about it. The things that I loved, um, I really enjoyed the story. I really enjoyed the development of Kirk. Um, I don't want to get too much into him now because I know we're going to talk a little bit about him later. But he he is what appealed to me the most in this film. I thought that some of the artistic liberties that they took were very interesting. I enjoyed the recap at the very beginning as they slowly zoomed into. Uh, to Spock's death scene, I really enjoyed that, um, and I like that it eventually came full circle, and we get you know we get the opposite quote with uh, the needs of the one outweigh the the needs of the many. But I don't love that quote. While I think it's while I think it's, ne while I think yeah, it's necessary, I'm so frustrated with that quote. I, it's supposed to be so profound, and I get it. They're like family and friends, and they're willing to risk everything for each other. But I just left that part of the film scratching my head, thinking they could have, they could have eliminated that, and I would have enjoyed it just as much as I did. I, I agree then, with you. I'm sorry. I, I I'm just saying yeah, I agree ahead. with you on 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 the quote thing. Yeah, when he said that, I was like, that's a. It just sounds like an incredibly selfish thing to say. I'm sorry. So so go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah yeah no I agree with that 100. percent And then I think 
I mean, set design, I felt like my uh, my two-year-old nephew could have drawn the sets in this film. Um, it really it really bothered me. And I made a conscious decision to look at the sets this time. So I don't know if that was something that I noticed because of that or if it was actually inferior to the other films that I've seen. And then I want there to be a line drawn between Star Wars and Star Trek. As I mentioned on a previous episode, I think that Star Wars is one thing and Star Trek is something different. I think that Star well, yeah. Trek and I, yeah, I, I, I have come to the conclusion that Star Trek is a more intellectual Star Wars. I like that about that. I want it to remain that way. And I think that they lean too heavily into some of the themes and things that you see in Star Wars, specifically the bar scene that I will forever refer to as the cantina scene, because it just reminds <laughs> me so much of the cantina scenes from Star Wars. Um, it's like you're reading my mind, dude. Is it all all these things? I'm like, I thought too. So like, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't want I don't want to go on too too long, but there were some things I really really enjoyed about it, and then some things that I really I was really frustrated with, and landed me somewhere in the middle of the road on my overall opinion. Well, that now it's my turn, and everything you guys just said was the exact method to my madness to have this panel back. It made a lot of sense because it followed Star Trek. I mean, it picks right up where the Wrath of Khan left off. You guys did the Wrath of Khan, but also all three of you, of your sentiments, it's like, and now we all become one because he put that all together of what the three of you said, and it's me with the, with the search for Spock. Now, I had, um, looking back, this was the first Star Trek film I saw in the theaters and not um, uh, Voyage Home, which I thought it was. And as a child watching this, mm. I was bored. And I think you could see how a child could not really enjoy this particular Star Trek adventure. Especially, especially Spock was my favorite character. And the only thing that really, at, at five years old, kept me interested in Star, in Star Trek. I, Spock roped me into the show. He wore a blue uniform, I guess, for a four or five... Oh, I mean, I was watching that years before I even saw The Search for Spock. So something like, I went in and I'm like, I don't see Spock. And I think my parents had to say something like, well, yeah, they're looking for him. That's the name of the movie. Um, all of you guys, <laughs> this is the thing. This is the thing. Yeah. In my rewatch of this, though, it aged very well. It is a good film. Yeah, it's a good film, but I yell at it to not be better. I, I yell at it for not being better because it could be better because what they just, what they did was they made the wrath of Khan, a universally beloved sci-fi film by more than just star Trek fans. They didn't follow it up with that. And there is where I think the disappointment with this movie, all these years lied. However, you need this movie to bring Spock back. Spock made that huge sacrifice at the end of, of two well, they had to get him back. And I think, I don't know how you, Kyle, and John, you know, felt about because I think you guys going into this new Spock, I mean, or even at the end of Star Trek II, you knew that wasn't the final time we saw Spock. Spock would mm -hmm. somehow be back. Is that oh, correct? No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, because especially because I know that he's played by a different actor now. So I knew at least one movie or show or whatever was going to have Spock in it. Well, yeah. Since then. So. Well, those were prequels anyway, but still, yes, it, it was not, well, or at least Kyle, you know, you watched Star Trek VI, 
He dies in yeah. Star Trek Two, yeah. where you're like, well, there must be some way he's obviously going to come back. Well, this is how it was done. I thought it was done very well. It's something that aged well in the franchise because it's a movie you need, you know? Mm. And I'm, again, I'm watching it and I'm blown away by the writing, but it, the, it's the writing as if it picked up from, it's a two hour TV episode more than a yep. great feature film, mm. but it's like it found its place in the zeitgeist of Star Trek. And I think that if somebody's a newbie who definitely this isn't a movie for a newbie to watch this, the first thing they ever watch of Star Trek, they probably wouldn't watch Star Trek again. Well, it but wouldn't make any sense. That, it is, it right. is what you start with. It wouldn't make any sense. So, it, yeah. Right. However, it is the missing piece for anyone who wants to go in and watch Star Trek 4. We'll talk about that just a little bit at the end of this. But yeah, I, now I have a new appreciation for the writing of it. And I have appreciation for where it fits. And if you're looking at the two, three, four trilogy, it's the middle. If you're if you're doing a sit down and watching all three of those movies, it's essential. It's essential. Yep. It's not to be skipped. It's probably one. I mean, there's many of the thirteen Star Trek movies. It is one where it, where you can't go. You know what? I'm in the mood for a Star Trek movie. Let me pick one. You're never going to pick the Search for Spock, in my opinion. I'd be surprised to learn if anybody would. Otherwise, to me, it's like Back to the Future 2, or if you're going to, I know I'm going, it's, it's out of order, but it's me. If I'm going to watch the complete Dark Knight trilogy, that's how I'm going to watch Dark Knight Rises, but I'm certainly not going to watch it alone. And for me, that's the search for Spock. And uh, over the years, a lot of people have the new affinity for it because of where it went, where the franchise went since, and, you know, all the, all the stuff uh, that uh, you could not have without the existence of this film in the franchise, especially the next one. Okay, so we're getting into our characters now, and we're going to start with the one, the only William Shatner back as James T. Kirk. Now, Kyle, the last time you were here with Star Trek II, you had a lot of great things to say about Kirk, and it sounds like you were going to probably have some great things to say about him again. What are What is your take on the role Kirk had in The Search for Spock? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. So I had a lot of good things to say about him last time. He only strengthened the argument for me that he's just one of the best character, best fictional characters ever. Um, I, I've enjoyed him in everything that I've seen him in so far. This one, I think, ha has sold me on him if I if I wasn't already. Um, I'm making myself look bad. I I just watched Indiana Jones uh for the first time a couple months ago. Um, and I think he's one of the coolest characters ever. Um, Shatner ranks up there with India or, or uh, Kirk ranks up there with Indiana Jones for me. He's like space Indiana Jones in my opinion. Um, and they give him this opportunity to be incredibly emotional on top of him being a badass and being really cool. And that scene after his son dies it's just very real and honest and he plays it so well. And I, I can't say anything bad about the character. I absolutely love him. And he's my favorite part of, of the franchise at this point. You said a lot of key things there. Uh, you know, a lot of the fandom discuss Shatner's a bad actor, the jokes, even at his own roast and Patton Oswalt said to him, can you act your way out of this and get him a, handing him a paper bag? 
But in reality, Shatner, I mean, you have yet to see the 60s TV series, but in reality, even in that 60s TV series, Shatner always got by. His entire career was based on his charm, his charisma, and that whether you like Shatner's acting, I don't care what you think about Shatner in general, he makes his characters too cool for school. And in the end, if you're conveying something like that, aren't you doing your job? And that is Captain Kirk. You you nailed who Captain Kirk is, what he's all about. Forget it. Yes, Shatner, you rock as Captain Kirk. If you are listening, we love you, Shatner. Okay. Great. Uh, so, yeah, so, Rod, what was your take on Kirk yes. in this film? Well, my take on Kirk was it was more of a a character analysis, a, a, a new, uh, let's say, uh, growth path for, uh, for our, our dear Captain Kirk, because we didn't know much about Kirk up until, well, up until Spock, you know, up until like Star Trek two, all we knew is that Kirk and Spock were the best of friends and he screwed around with almost any, any, uh, female alien that he could get his hands on as the lore goes. But then we find out, at least back in two, he had a he had a son. Da 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 da. Not only did he have a son, he has a son that uh, wants to kill him <laughs> because well he's he's Starfleet. And then on top of that, he's got a you know he's got an old enemy that uh, is a little pissed off because uh, he didn't check it he didn't check up on him. Uh, but at the same time, there's not much that we know about Kirk except that yeah he's been doing this for the last twenty years, and he's it's starting to wear on him. But then, you know, Khan comes back, tries to lay the, uh, the payback game on him, lost grandly. Uh, <laughs> Spock goes and takes the ultimate bullet for him, dies. And now, uh, let's see, Kirk's feeling a little bad, but he's still dealing with the fact that I have a son. All right, the Kirk line can go on. Da, 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 da. Well, of course, we forget that he also has a nephew and at least three other nephews. But you know, something we can talk, we can talk about down the line. But anyway, uh, he has a son, but then he loses that son. Oops! <laughs> but then he gain, gains back a brother, Spock. Spock, mm. you're back, my brother. Yeah, and we push on with the uh, with the character arc. And yeah, and going back to uh, to a certain uh, description of uh, Kirk, badass, yes. Space Indiana Jones? No, I I would save that <laughs> appellation for uh, Jean Luc Picard with the oh. next generation, since I since he's more into the archaeology than uh, Kirk. Kirk's more into you know current events, if you get my meaning. But uh, mm. nonetheless, getting back to Kirk's uh, development, yeah, it's it's a it's a new development arc for for uh, Kirk and Spock, and plus it also shows this is how deep the friendship goes with not just Kirk. But everyone else in the uh, in the original crew, because not only not only is he doing this for just Spock, everybody else is doing it for Spock. McCoy, well, because he's got Spock Scotra in his head. Uh, <laughs> Uhura, Sulu, and Chekhov. Well, they've known you know other than Kirk, they've known Spock the longest. Well, technically Uhura now that thanks to Bray, uh, Strange New Worlds, she knows she's known him the longest, and everybody has a stake in it. And we see that as you know, as the as a uh, search for Spock continues, and then on top of that, we got Krug who wants I want power, I want this, but what do I got? 
a boy, a Vulcan, and a woman. Okay, Doc. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> yes. Still, um, this this is it's just simply a character, you know, a, a story move on for for Kirk and 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 the crew. And it's Absolutely. still another another little deep spot between. Yes, this is what Kirk would do. This is what you know. Spock already showed what he could do. We would do it for Kirk. Kirk now showed what he could do for Spock, and at what cost? His ship, his son. To quote Sarah. Mm. Heavy yeah. stuff. Heavy stuff. Still hits. Still resonates to this day, despite it, you know, the movie being lukewarm, as it were. And it's a movie. It's a movie. It's, it's a movie that exists. Movie. Uh, John, yes. your take on Kirk in this film. Well, one thing that I noticed immediately uh, upon watching this film is that he, uh, uh, What's his name? William Shatner was finally getting to the point in his career where he was talking like his exaggerated self already. Before <laughs> that, before that, you heard hints of it. But now in this movie, he was sort of like, but we must go. And like, I'm like, whatever it is that he, that he was like, you know, quoted as saying, um, he started getting into that pattern of talking. Now, uh, before I go into my uh, character view of Kirk, I will say I have seen William Shatner act outside of the Star Trek, uh, whatever, milieu. And uh, I, I will say he's a good actor. He's he's good because I saw him play Juliet's father on Psych in a few episodes. And, you know, he is not at all reminiscent of Kirk. He has a character that he's playing and it's just sort of like, okay, I'm William Shatner and I'm playing this role. And he was good. He was convincing. So uh, he's a good actor. Now, uh, as far as the character of Kirk goes, I thought that it was interesting to watch him because, you know, he did that whole, he seems to, I don't know if he does this in like a lot of episodes in the sixties and just like a bunch of the movies that he's in but he seems to trick his enemies a lot, right? Where they say surrender, and he goes, "Okay, I'll surrender." And you know, they like <laughs> they they beam their stuck. team, <laughs> right? They beam the team, you know, like he's like, "Okay, have them beam onto the ship and have the ship self destruct." So now we got all of these people from uh, from Krug's team on the ship, and the ship explodes, right? They're like, "Okay, cool, we got that done with." Meanwhile, Krug has Kirk's son killed. And when he had him hanging off of the cliff at the end of the movie, he was like, take my hand, I'll save your life. Like, okay, make up your mind. Are you just a senseless murderer who says, okay, well, I'm going to kill six people all in one shot, or am I going to try to save the life of the guy who killed my son? All right. You know, cool. I guess you know. Th there's there's no real logic behind it because all he's doing is he's trying to get he's trying to get the upper hand. So that was interesting. Uh, other than that, as a main character, I guess I didn't find him to be all that intriguing. I found some of the other characters to be more intriguing than he was. 
who were not the main characters. But uh, that was that was kind of my take on it. He was he seemed to be the kind of everyman, the straight man. And I put that in quotes because it's not really a comedy movie, but he's the straight man. He's the most normal, most kind of straightforward out of everyone. So that's the way I saw it. Hey, hey, lifelong Star Trek fan, Rod, isn't it interesting how he said he's the straight man and it's not really a comedy, where the next movie, he's the straight man and it's a comedy. In a comedy, (laughs) all right, yes. Uh, Well, adding to what you guys said about uh, Kirk, uh, you guys are all spot on. Kyle with, he's Indiana Jones space, meaning he's too cool for school. Yes, he is in this. Um, uh, uh, John, you're saying, but he wasn't the most interesting character. You're right. That's one of the things Mm -hmm. with this movie. It just isn't the best Star Trek film. Is it bad? No. No. Is it the best? No. And Rod, what you said resonated with me because that is exactly where Wrath of Khan starts. Kirk's depressed. He's having this midlife crisis and he's in bad shape. And at the end of that movie... Exactly. The end of that movie, what's his last line? It's young. I feel young. And in this movie, it kind of, he's back and he's ready to do what he does best. And they all go and save Spock. Why? He just saved all of their lives. So they all band together to save Spock because Spock on the Genesis planet, still really alive. Got to go back for him. Starfleet said no. And what did Kirk do? Gave them the big middle finger and did what Kirk did best. So if anybody, you know, I can see for a lifelong fan, because um, again, the, the, this isn't even a movie. There are movies that the fans don't like, you know. Um, yep. Search for Spock isn't one of them where the majority of the fans don't like it. It's just the majority of the fans say, yes, Search for Spock is a movie that exists. However, a lot had said, like what I said, in, in subsequent years – how important this movie became um, to the franchise. But yes, if we look at Kirk in particular, he's back. He's back from his depressive episode and ready to start the adventure again and and go into that direction. So every single thing you guys said was uh, spot on. Now we're going to get into interesting pair of characters because Bones and Spock are one in this. It is Bones carrying the chakra of Spock Although he's carrying the chakra of Spock, but Spock still lives in other forms and different. But ah, what the hell is going on here? So at the <laughs> end of at the end of Star Trek Two, of course, we all know that uh, Leonard Nimoy had a last minute. Wait, wait, wait. What if I want to come back? Oh, I'll say remember on uh, and McCoy, and there it was. There was the uh, there was the entire next movie made right there. So getting into these characters, the Bones and Spock Spock Bones hybrid. John, what was your take on what they did here with Bones and Spock in this movie? Well, I will say, what's his name? De- DeForest Kelly? Was, is that his name? DeForest Kelly, yeah. Yep. DeForest Kelly. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a remarkable job of portraying this guy who was just like seemingly insane for no reason. All of a sudden, you couldn't talk to him. You couldn't get through to him. He was just, he, he, what did he do? He broke into Spock's quarters and he was just kind of sitting there mumbling. And then you saw his, like, I don't know, maybe it was movie magic, what they did with his eyes. They were like, just kind of blank. 
And it was like, was damn, acting? dude. What's that? I'm sorry. Acting. I, well, yeah, he, you know, you, you can't act your eyes being completely that way. <laughs> There's a, you know. You'd be surprised. I, I, well, maybe, maybe <laughs> you can. I don't know. So anyway. Um, yeah. So right away, I was like, okay, this guy is going to be fun to watch because you're kind of sitting there. I, you know, normally when I watch a movie, I'm like, okay, this is a movie. It's scripted. People are acting. This is a set. But when I saw that for like maybe half a second, maybe a full second, I was like, oh, shit. What happened to Bones? Like, what yeah. is going on with this guy? And then, of course, you know, I'm like, okay, he's he's acting. He's doing that. But, um, yeah, he was he was that he was that startling when he first came on screen that I was like, oh, damn, like, that's not Bones. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It was like it was really weird. So, you know, the the rest of the movie, he's like, okay, I have this, I have this thing in me, and I don't know why, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. And he was, he was like, that was like, green okay. blooded. <laughs> I was like, okay, that green All blooded right. little hobgoblin. <laughs> Take it easy, there, man. So, so I thought what was what was really cool about him. Is that they were just sort of like, okay, you know, Spock's father comes in. He goes, okay, well, he must have done something. Oh, yeah, he touched Bones, and now Bones has the chakra or whatever the whatever he called katra. it, the katra, the katra, wow. yeah. And he was like, okay, so now this is basically my character. I'm I'm channeling Spock through Bones. So it was sort of like there was a Bones and there was a Spock. Of course, Leonard Nimoy didn't show up until the end of the movie but that was it was really cool the way he did it because he didn't play his normal role in this movie he played the role of the guy who was carrying spock in his consciousness and didn't know what to do with it and they were saying well it's dangerous he's gonna die if he doesn't know what to do with it soon and i'm like okay well if we want Bones to be in the next movie, they need to script it so that, you know, they figure out what to do. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm, I thought that was it was brilliantly portrayed. Was he the one uh, in the in the cantina scene? He, he was that yes. one, right. Yeah. So. Yes. So when he was talking to to your uh, your cantina guy, Kyle, <laughs> I was thinking, too, which, by the way, I just kind of want to, you know, like I realize that we're talking about Bones here, but. That guy, worst costume ever. I'm sorry. It was a terrible <laughs> costume. The, the guy was talking. His face barely moved when he was talking. And you saw the actor's lips moving inside the mask. I'm like, dude, come on. Don't you have a big enough budget that you can make a better, a better costume than this? So he was. And then he started talking like the alien. He was like, whatever, like, yes, Genesis, bad, but need go Genesis. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, well, I could keep going on and on about how I, how fun yeah, I thought Bones was to watch, <laughs> but but that's basically my my thoughts on Bones. I must say, now every listener is going to go check out that scene, myself included, and mm -hmm. confirm what what his mouth looks like there. Okay, uh, the bones and and 
How rude of me. I, of course, didn't announce the actors. That's DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy returning as Bones and Spock. Rod, you are up. The, the Bones and Spock hybrid, as I call them jokingly. <laughs> oh, yeah, where they finally get a chance to be one, figuratively and yes. literally. Uh, yeah, this was definitely, I, I have to agree with John on the fact that, yes, this was uh, DeForest Kelly's uh, moment to shine, where he's not just playing McCoy. He's playing McCoy as Spock, and he does it excellently, especially in the cantina scene uh, when he orders the Altarian water, when he's normally should be doing uh, Southern whiskey as he is a Southern gentleman that, uh, and McCoy is very proud of being that. And then talking to the, uh, the, the alien, uh, who actually that was more of, that's more of a makeup job than a mask, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that guy was a bit of a, <laughs> You gotta take him or you know take him or leave him, especially the way he was talking in a yes. in a pseudo Oriental accent. Oh, are you from Enterprise? I'm like, ooh, yes, yes. yes. I and a lot of <laughs> a lot of people of Asian descent were going, ouch, that hurt. That really hurt, and I'm only like a quarter Asian, so ooh, <laughs> was that all? That hurt. <laughs> that kind of hurt a bit. But yeah. it was still funny, especially, and especially once um, McCoy was just going, going between being Spock and being himself. Especially if he's trying to, as he's working out the terms of going to Genesis. How can you be deaf with ears like those? And you've seen the ears on the on that alien. <laughs> yes. I mean, really. And then yeah. also trying to do the, uh, trying to pull the Vulcan nerve pinch on the, uh, on the Federation agent. <laughs> Priceless. Mm. Priceless. Uh. And this goes back and forth through the entire movie. Whenever Bones slash Spock is on is on camera, and then of course when it's time for, especially when it comes down to like the last part when they're on the Genesis planet, where they find Spock, he's almost fully grown. And of course, Bones, one of Bones' last uh, little bun mods, saying, "Sorry, Admiral, it looks like he's all there, but I've got all his marbles." And then when they're finally off the planet, now. McCoy finally gets to be more McCoy as we now as now we get close to the end. And at the end, McCoy is McCoy, Spock is Spock. Yep. All is right in the universe. And it was done brilliantly. Which was perfect, especially and it was also necessary considering, well, the guy really playing Spock is behind the camera going, Okay, now you do this, you do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until he yeah, had to jump I... back back in front of the camera you... and be Spock. Rod, okay. you may know better than me. You may know better than me, but in the um, in the scene where Kirk goes into Spock's quarters to find that it's McCoy, was that yes. Nimoy dubbing? Okay, I figured that that, that was, was the answer. Ne- I just that- wanted to make sure. Yeah, yeah there were a couple. Of otherwise, then DeForest Kelly was also an expert mimic. Yeah, if that was. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was yeah. that was a dub. No, those were the, where it was necessary. There were dubs I from, from Nimoy. Mm, uh, no, a so. quick little trivia thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, another quick little trivia thing. Elevator shaft. Elevator shaft voice on the uh, Excelsior. Mm. Also Nimoy. Oh, yes. Cool. We're yes, trying to figure I out. Saw. We're trying to figure out whether Leonard Nimoy was doing the the weird alien guy too. Because I thought, I thought that was him. I I thought that was nope. Leonard Nimoy had doing nope, like that was a the bit, actor doing a bit part because himself. because he wasn't like really. 
in the movie very much. So I I thought that <laughs> might have been Leonard Nimoy doing that part, but I guess not. I don't know. <laughs> no, that was the that was the other that was the actor himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that and... the actor was Leonard Nimoy. That's that's what I'm saying. Right. 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 So. Right. No, no, I got you. Mm-hmm. We thought, yeah, the twist was going to be that was Spock. That um, was Spock. Woo! <laughs> right. Okay. Kyle, your take on Bones and Spock here. Yeah. Um, so initially, I was very frustrated with the development of McCoy. I was, I, I, I liked, you know, how he was being portrayed, but it didn't feel like it fit with what I had seen before. And I didn't really understand the jump or how they how they had gotten from from point A to where, you know, McCoy was in this film. And then when I finally realized what was happening, I had to look back and go, oh, my God, like this, this as much as I like Shatner's performance. This might have been the the best performance in the film, Um, I think, from that moment forward and and the cantina scene, as much as I didn't love a lot about it. and I, I feel like I'm breaking a lot of Trekkie's hearts when I keep calling it the cantina scene. But um, <laughs> I don't think you are. I don't think anybody's ever called it anything no, different. No. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. No, you're good. Um, <laughs> but his, his back and forth and his quick wit. And uh, I just loved everything about the dialogue there. I loved everything about his performance there. Um, very few things in film are perfect. I think it's okay that way. I think that's about as close to perfect as you get uh, is that particular scene from, from DeForest Kelly. All right. That's that's uh, what I got. Rod, I'm going to do a little foreshadowing here. How do you think Kyle is going to feel when he eventually sees the Carl urban bones? I almost can't wait. I I have seen, (laughs) I have seen pictures. I already hate it. So. Okay. Okay. So, so what? <laughs> hey, man. Hey, I think when you first came on this show and you were going to review Star Trek Six, I think you said to yourself before that, "I think I'm going to hate it." And then we all know what happened. Anyway, yeah. Just to touch up on Bones and Spock, the Bones and Spock hybrid here. Again, everything you guys were saying was spot on. The only thing I would add is that I feel like it was where was that at the time? Eighty four. So about 20-ish or so years that uh, you had this back and forth bickering between Bones and and Spock. And there was always a question on, but I think we always knew it, even watching the original series. Yes, deep down, they love each other very, very much. And I think this film, I think that is what this film and the, besides the happy accident, if you will, of thinking of saying, remember, to Bones' forehead in Star Trek II, and the way they... That's the thing about this movie, and it shows in this character hybrid here, that... And that's why I yell at it, because I want it to be better. I want it to be a Wrath of Khan, and I feel like it has that potential at times, but just never quite got there. Even as I say today, and I'm certainly not saying I hate the film, but I am saying that if anybody were to think on anything that was lacking in it yeah it was lacking but at the same time i'm in awe of the story crafting of this film um especially now that i understand it a little better and that was such a great way to yes bring spock's uh spirit back into his body um but it shows for all that kirk and spock and kirk and mccoy 
we've always seen how they were always connected and bonded. Well, this was because Spock, let's take away the, the, the writing necessity for doing what he did. As Sarek explained, Spock had to pick someone he loved and trusted and was very close with. So Sarek shows up going, but it had to be you. Because I know what happened. He's a Vulcan, and he was in this dangerous situation and had to think quick and die in order to save anyone. Die, I use in quotes. But then if it wasn't you, and you're his closest friend, then who was it? Boom, Bones, you know, um, who is yeah. obviously you're saying, okay, then what you're saying is he and Bones love each other, and they just have a funny way of showing it. And that was a great <laughs> way to symbolize that with Sarek's speech and saying, well, then where is Spock's chakra or whatever it is. Katra. And there it was. Katra. Because it, because they are, the three of them have always been a trio. And even though there was bickering, it's, it's all out of love, you know? Mm. And uh, so there has to be Spock's mind. And that was being carried by bones. Well, whose job is it to go get Spock's body? We have Merritt Buttrick back as Dr. David Marcus, and we have not Kirstie Alley back as Savick. So ah, my Rob, favorite actress is not Kirstie Alley. <laughs> so Robin Curtis, Robin Curtis replaced Kirstie Alley. And if you ask me, I am not just saying this. I truly believe that was an improvement, that the actor, mm -hmm. the actress that they picked to replace Kirstie Alley was an improvement upon her. But let's hear what everybody else has to say between the characters of David and Savick, who were on the mission to retrieve Spock's body, and also, sadly, David, to realize what is actually going on with his terraforming Genesis planet. So, starting with you, Rod! Rod, you're up! Uh, what do you make of the pair of David and Savick? Ah, yes, David and Savick, which was supposed to be, I think they were trying to play that up a bit as uh, Kirk and Spock 2.0. They were almost right. They were almost right. And the, the interesting uh, coincidence that uh, both uh, uh, that Savick was the starting role of, of both Robin Curtis and uh, Kirstie Alley was not lost on me, uh, especially considering like both of them did go on to like do other other things in, in film. But that's not important right now. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was a, that was an interesting uh, little thought between David and uh, David and uh, Savick, yeah, of course. I mean, it, 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 it seemed very apropos. New, new planet, uh, and the, the, per, the most obvious people to do it is the person who helped create it, and of the, you know, a Vulcan science officer that was perfectly suited, and who better to be perfectly suited than Spock's former uh, protege, Savick. I mean, she, I mean, obviously this was uh, Spock's personal... Uh, personal uh, student uh, that was that was pretty much uh, pointed out well back in uh, Star Trek 2 and yeah they go down they, they they check out everything they do the survey of course yeah they're the ones most logically that have to go down to the planet and discover what was going on because you don't just send down just any two two schmucks on the planet red shirt or not <laughs> even though everybody is a red shirt in, at this point in time in Starfleet uh, yeah, it had to be uh, Marcus and uh, and Savick to go down there to uh, also ultimately be saved when the Grissom gets nuked by uh, by uh, by a lucky shot, so to speak. 
And uh, yeah, it just you know it it still pushes the story along. It pushes everything along. So it's it's apropos. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Kirk, I know Spock's not there. Kirk's in a mess right now, and plus he's trying to get back to to Spock. So it had to be uh, Savick and uh, Savick and uh, David. Um, it was also a chance for uh, David to figure out. Oh wait. What's going on with the planet now? Oh, wait. I fucked up. Whoops. And I have to pay for that. And yeah, he had to pay for it. Unfortunately, he paid for it with his life. I mean, it would have been now, nice to have yeah. him. I mean, it would have been nice to have him, like, do something to stabilize the planet. But no, no, no. This is the search for Spock. Not the search for, not the search for David's uh, screw-up. <laughs> not, yeah, um, not the search for yeah. Dave's solution to his screw-up. <laughs> So he had to pay. Everybody has to pay. Right. But mm. yeah, it was a wonderful, you know, uh, uh, Marcus and Savick, perfect pair up. Fits throughout the, you know, it fits. It Like uh, like George Lucas says, it rhymes. It's like poetry. It fits. Yeah. It goes on. It's the second verse. And it works for a while until the next time that happens, mm. which unfortunately it doesn't. Until, let's say, at least another generation later with uh, Picard and their kids. Picard mm -hmm. and, and Data and their, their, their offspring, as mm -hmm. it were. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, it all fits. Yeah. yeah, that's what I want to ask you, Rod, um, in one point that you made. And that was in, mostly in the last time you were here talking about the Wrath of Khan. I don't remember whether it was speculation or you knew for a fact now. Let's take a look at the convenience of this for one second. Um, yes. With Savick, they not only had this science officer Vulcan that was Fox protege, she was a female. So yep. there's strategically needed the female for Spock to survive. So she was kind of written as convenience. But in terms of David and his demise, uh, you speculated along with me that perhaps they knew what they were going to do with this character, whether or not they knew the entire details of the sequel after he was introduced in the wrath of Khan. Um, you, you, you pointed out some things here about how convenient it was to have David and Savick be on that planet. And of course, neither yeah. of them be, being the main characters, you know, about this. Did they from the start, was the character of Dr. David Marcus. And I think now more than ever, I'm going to think so. I don't know if I have concrete proof of this, but I want to hear your take on it. It seemed like he was created in order for them to kill him off. And I want to know if you agree with that or uh, it, it seemed awfully convenient. Now, of course, we'll never know because we can't ask Carve Bennett, you know, but nope. this, this, this is a major you know, being that the two movies, it's a, it's a three movie trilogy. It's all one big story being that Kirk meets him and it's this, you know, cathartic thing. We knew where they were going to, well, we know where they went with the Klingons in six and how that all topped up. It was like this perfect cherry. So either I'm thinking, did they plan this all along or were the writers just that meticulous and strategic in figuring out? I mean, cause then that just shows why Star Trek, that just, that just shows the brilliance of its writing, you know? Hmm. I would say it's more of a happy coincidence. Okay. A happy, All right. Um, it's more of a happy coincidence than like something a little bit more contrived. I mean, yeah, granted, there were, you know, Harvey and, and, and 
Leonard Nimoy worked together on this, and you know, and maybe they did. It, it did probably came along in, in in discussions that hey, wait a minute, David's going to be here for at least one more movie. Does he? You know, should he stay on me on for at least one more? You know, should. But then you also have to think they could have just as easily kept. They could have sent Carol down there. Carol Marcus. She was the head of the project. She could have gone down there along with uh, with Savick. Yeah. But, but conspicuously no, it, absent. <laughs> yeah, mm. but very conspicuously absent. Yeah, I mean, unless she's back on regular one going, okay, I wonder how, uh, how am I going to get myself out of this one? Or <laughs> I wonder how, how we can expand on this. But no, um, yeah, I think it was just more of a happy, more of a happy okay. coincidence and contrivance than like something that was like definitely planned because I didn't think, I don't think anybody was thinking more than uh, more than one movie ahead when it came to uh, how long certain characters went past a certain point. I mean, considering they just lost, you know, they lost Kirstie Alley for what, you know, for moolah reasons, I, as I remember the backstory, or, or, or I think she was doing something else at the time. And I think then it was a combination was, she of... Was on yeah, uh, no, she wasn't on Cheers at the time. I'm sorry, not that yet. was my mistake. Not no, yet. she wasn't. She was not. Yeah. No, nope, not, nope. not this was it. Remember, now remember, correct uh, us. Uh, Rathacon was her first movie role, so mm. she yeah. was just trying. She was just trying to like get. There was, I think there was. Get. I think it was a combination <laughs> of a money thing and a thing. I think that there was a. I think it was happening at the same time. Those the starts of those yeah. problems. Okay. Um, yeah. just talk, I'll talk very briefly about that in my summation. Kyle, your take on David, da David, David and Savick. Savick <laughs> and, and Savick, yes. Movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think both were improvements from the previous film. Uh, I think I agree with you completely that Robin Curtis was a significant step in the right direction over Kirstie Alley. As I said last time, I only knew Kirstie Alley's from some bogus, uh, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen movie, and she—I was turned off to that. I also don't think she's a great actress, um, but uh, Robin Robin Curtis did it for me. I thought that she was she did a very good job. I thought she conveyed a Vulcan. In I mean, having only seen three films now, I feel like she sort of fit the bill more so than than Kirstie Alley did in terms of her performance. Um, and then David who I despised in the previous film. I thought he was just a whiny little boy and I, I couldn't, couldn't quite get over him. Um, I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he was, I thought they did such a great job of adjusting that character and not in a way that felt frumpy or fractured. I, I think that they did it effectively. And while I agree with what, what you guys have said so far, it is convenient. I, I think they're really the only options of who you send to Genesis to retrieve Spock. Um, I think it really works. I really enjoy their interactions with one another. And ultimately, they, ultimately their goal is to propel the two main characters forward, David with Kirk and Savik with Spock. They do it. They do it well. And I thoroughly enjoyed both characters significantly more so than I did in the previous film. One because of the writing in David, and one with the acting uh, with uh, with Sopic. Very nice, John. You are up with these two characters, David and Savic, or Savic and David. Savic, Slavic and Slavic and Mavis. Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah. 
I think we were all thinking it. You know, Kirstie Alley. I'm I'm not shy about saying it. I don't like Kirstie Alley as an actress. I don't like her in anything that she's done. You know, I didn't like her in the Star Trek movie. I didn't like her in Cheers. I didn't like her in. Look oh, you didn't talking. like her in Cheers. Oh, I, I thought did you not. did like her in Cheers. Oh, I see. No. Okay. No, no, no. She was, she was, she was annoying, irritating. Uh, at first, she was a hard ass, and then she just was like a complete slobbering, like, like she had no control over anything. And I just found her to be irritating in everything. And so you're team Diane. You're team Diane. That's what... <laughs> uh, yes, I think that Diane is a much a much more entertaining character. But that that as, that aside, you know, I don't even care. Fine, Shelley Long was great as as Carol Carol Brady as well. Fine, cool. So, um, but yeah, no, Kirstie Alley just I, I don't know, like, and she was cast in some like Salem witch trials movie, and I'm like, she just she just can't she can't. I don't know why people cast her. She was really just <laughs> awful in everything. But anyway, that is that's my 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 take on Kirstie Alley. Now my take hey, on Hey, nobody tell her. Don't tell Kirstie Alley what John thinks of her. I'm sorry. That well, was really rude. Well, I, you're gonna, you're gonna you, you wanna you wanna shovel in an Indian burial ground and then we can and we can tell her. So anyway. Um, I'm not even cutting that. that was... <laughs> <laughs> we just got raw here on Star Trek: The Undiscovered Podcast. We just went. He went there. Like he yeah. went there. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, look. All I'm going to say is that how could it possibly be more evil? So we just we and- just lost some listeners. <laughs> Listen, come come over come over to my Stephen King podcast, and you'll you can hear all about it. So anyway, Stavik. Slavic and yes. David, or, or or Slavic and Mavis. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, yes, Robin Curtis, right? That's that's the actress's name. Mm-hmm. Much, yes. so good, so good. Now yeah. her character, um, you know, again, not so much to it. Just sort of like, okay, let's go down to Genesis. Let's find Spock. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, her like her portrayal was much more sympathetic, much more relatable. And I really liked when she was on screen. I thought, okay, this is a caring person. This is someone who actually wants uh, you know, people to be comfortable. She wants people to be uh, happy. And when she found the child Spock, she was like trying really to comfort him, to make him feel like, okay, everything's going to be okay, even though you're confused, you don't know what's going on. For half a second, I'm like, is that Sigourney Weaver? Because Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver would have also fit that role pretty well. But Robin Curtis was great. No, so I I liked the way that she was on screen. I liked her. And and David, uh, again, didn't really know much. All I know is that apparently he did something very irresponsible, which Savik reprimanded him for. And she, he was like, okay, well, I did it so that it wouldn't take years, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, I, I'm guilty of the same thing for this movie as I was for the last movie. I didn't really pay much attention to their characters. They're kind of catalysts. They're kind of, they're there so that we can find out, hey, Spock has regenerated on Genesis. And, you know, something that David did made it so that Genesis was going to destroy itself in a matter of hours, as they keep saying, in a matter of hours, in a matter of hours, the planet's going to destroy itself. 
Um, yeah, I I found their characters to be kind of like, okay, I'm glad you're here because you're moving the movie along. You're you're here because you're allowing people to know that we found Spock as a child and he's aging very rapidly because of something that David did, I believe. If I'm if I'm piecing all of these yeah, things yeah, together. Yeah, keep going. Right. So yeah. um you know, I, I it seemed that they were a bit too catalysty and not mm-hmm. like you know, like a, like a lot of characters will be there and they'll have their own characters, but they'll kind of like their their underlying purpose is to move the plot along the way that Savik and David did. To me, it just seemed like they're there so that this part of the movie can now happen. And, you know, I, maybe they do more interesting things with Savik in the future. I don't know. I don't know if Savik is even a character in the future, but OK, yeah, Greg is. So, so listen, listen, I have seen two movies. I saw the Wrath of Khan and I saw this one. I don't know what happens after this one. Oh, I know. Yes. Oh, oh, no, I know. I, know. I wasn't I wasn't face palming you. I was face palming what the writers did with Sabbath, ah, which everybody was. And that and that Kyle is about to see and that you can see, too. No, you are absolutely right. You're right, spot right. on. Are you so, done on these two characters? I, I okay, am done on these okay. two characters. Okay. That's, yeah, that's because all I'm going to add to it is exactly that was a perfect segue. Then, yeah, mm-hmm. these two characters here in this, while I love them, like, and yeah, they need to be there, and yeah, you have Savic. They basically go and save Spock's life, and mm-hmm. Savic is uh, very giving in this movie. Um, it, this this was Pon Far, which is if you look at the episode of Mock Time. Uh, I'm not going to have a whole lesson here about Ponfar and what it is, but she had to do something so that Spotless. <laughs> yes, yes, fine, Rod. Let's just cut right to the chase. Vulcan sex. <laughs> they had to have Vulcan sex in order for Spock to survive. And there is a fan theory that some people in the Star Trek family say is canon, others say it isn't. Um, and that's really more to talk. I don't really want to spoil four for either Kyle or. John, who now, if he wants, he could watch more at his leisure on that. But I would say my take on them was they were important, but I think if this movie treated any characters unfairly, it was them. Because, yes, they were important and they went, but there was something missing, and it wasn't in the actress' performances. It was in the writing. There was something missing because David, they they didn't really have the time. We, we didn't really see Kirk grieve as much as he did. We didn't see his grief until Star Trek VI, really. But, you know, I could defend the writing as as well as criticize it, if you will, by saying he didn't have the time. They were on a mission right now where time was a factor, and Kirk being, and all of everyone in Starfleet, in fact, they come face-to-face with death in a minute with, you know, things can change in a minute like that anytime. So, yeah, he had to put his officer face on, you know, after David was killed. He, he, he didn't have a choice. But all that anger and all that rage just makes one see, well, you saw it in six. Where did all of it go? It was all picked up. You saw it in six. So it was a good way to develop Kirk's character. But if you if you just ask me, I, I just think Savick and David, I realized there was a movie going on that had to be wrapped up in two hours versus four hours. But David and Savick, you know, could have had their own 
you know, adventures. They, they did the best they could, I think, with the time allotted and stuff. I just kind of felt like the characters, while great, could use even a little bit more. Um, that was my take on mm. them. Okay. Last but certainly not least, you needed a villain to follow Khan. How the hell do you do that? Well, I think they did well finding Christopher Lloyd to play Klingon Krug, probably, you know, as savage as the Klingons were in that original series era, probably the most savage, evil Klingon that you're going to get was Christopher Lloyd and Krug. I think I'm already giving what I think of him, but we're going to actually start with you, Kyle, the villain of this movie, Christopher Lloyd as Krug. Well, based on your introduction of that character, you are not gonna love what I have to say. <laughs> All right, no, that's the, fine. Oh, the, so this is my over, this is my overarching issue now with Star Trek. I, from what I've seen, I don't particularly care for the villains. I don't right. think they're they're written very well. I don't think they're as terrifying as maybe they need to be. And part of the reason I feel that I I feel that way is, well, I mean, I know Christopher Lloyd from a slew of things that is not this. And many of them are silly characters and he portrays them very well. And I saw glimpses of that in the character that I think was there intentionally. I don't think it slipped through because I think he's a fantastic actor. So I think everything he did was intentional. And I think that he was probably written in a way that allowed him to portray uh, uh, Krug, Krug or Krug, however you say his, his name, uh, in this particular Eben- Ebenezer fashion. Scrooge. Krug, like the, uh, <laughs> like the champagne. <laughs> okay. I, I understand that you need a villain. I understand that, especially because we effectively find Spock very early in the film, there needs to be something else driving it. Uh, there needs to be a protagonist or an antagonist, rather. There needs there needs to be this opposite to to Kirk. I again, I just don't love him, and but I I think it's interesting how they portray that race in this film. I enjoyed the way they portrayed that race as a whole. He just didn't seem like the guy to lead the pack for me. He seemed like maybe someone else should have played him and Christopher Lloyd should stick to uh, back to the feature. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But that's not a shot at Christopher Lloyd. I think he's, again, he's a phenomenal actor. I think he intentionally brought these things. I think that he, this character was intentionally written this way so that he could be himself in some ways. Again, very much like Khan, which I know is, is a hot take. Didn't love Khan. Uh, I I didn't I didn't love I didn't love him either. Mm. We gotta we gotta wait for you know Kyle has how many like literally hundreds more villains to see. So I'll be looking forward to his opinions on <laughs> villains and future Star Trek things. Um, but Kyle, put a pin in that. When it gets to my turn, everybody re- just remind me pin, and I'm gonna say something about that. Okay, um, uh, Rod, you're up, yes. you're up, yeah, crew. Oh. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, well, since we're going to be talking about villains and how bad they were, especially in Star <laughs> Trek, wow. No, actually, um, I think Krug was one of the best villains that they had. Yes, 
They, it, I mean, come on. We're talking about a guy who had a purpose. He had a goal, and he did not give a F-U-C-K-H who got in his way. And he stuck by his guns no matter what, even when he thought he was outnumbered and outgunned. I mean, hey, he, he rolled the dice against, uh, against the Federation battlecruiser and almost won. Almost. Due to the fact that, well, let's see, he lost the rest of his men when the Enterprise blew up. But he still got away with, oh, let's see, blowing up the Grissom. Uh, killing David, the one guy that could have helped him in the uh, <laughs> in his quest for ultimate power. And, I'm trying uh, to, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. He thought he was going to get away with it by even taking over the uh, the Enterprise. Oops, wait. Uh, the Enterprise blew up. Oh, so sorry. Say lovey. But yeah, he was pretty much one minded. I mean, not like some of the other villains in uh, in Star Trek, especially in subsequent movies. Uh, next closest was like, oh, let's say uh, Nero, but that was that's an alternate universe, so we can't go there, <coughs> and we can't even go after the ones in the next generation. But I'd say Krug was the, the 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 worst one, the biggest villain, who actually almost pulled off what he was about to pull off if it wasn't for the fact that Genesis was gonna go poof prematurely due to uh, <laughs> David Marcus's little shortcut. But and Christopher Christopher uh, Lloyd has been playing him. Chef's kiss, perfect. He was wonderful. I mean, he did his little bit of yeah. He did his little uh, his little bit of uh, uh, scenery eating and chewing. But yeah. then, what villain wouldn't? That's part of the that's part of the role. That's what mm -hmm. part of the paychecks for. But he did. He he came in. He hit his marks. He did what he had to do, and he spoke his lines. Oh, beautiful Klingon, by the way. Very beautiful. I mean, I only know of at least one or two other uh, people in my life, and you know, professionally and and personally, that spoke that speaks Klingon just as fluently. And uh, <clears throat> he, let's just say, story-wise, he was perfect. He was the quintessential Klingon. Mm, he was yeah. the Klingon to end all Klingons. And yeah, shame he couldn't last past that uh, past the Genesis planet. Would have been great if he came back, but oops, nope. We got we got him for what he came. We we got what we paid for. We got the villain that we wanted. We 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 paid our money for him, and he paid off. Mm. You know, lukewarm as the movie was, still as as far as villains goes, Krug rules. So John, we just mm. heard, uh, we just heard uh, nay on Krug from Kyle and yay on Krug from Rod. So do you fall into More team like Kyle? Kyle? <laughs> team, yeah. Team Rod, or is there a team John all of his own on Krug? So, all right. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a detailed answer here. Now I realize that this movie predates both of these. I was expecting to see a judge doom type. Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Instead, I got a Doc Brown type Christopher <laughs> Lloyd. Okay. Again, I know this movie predates both Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Kyle was saying Christopher Lloyd 
if I'm if I'm mistaken, Kyle, please correct me. But you were saying that Christopher Lloyd should stick to a bit more like comedic roles, right? <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now, <laughs> seeing him in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, clearly he is capable of portraying like a super intimidating, like you don't want to fuck with this guy kind of role. And yep. like just the way that he delivered Judge Doom was incredible. I was like, wow, who could have possibly been better for this role than Christopher Lloyd? And that was why I'm like, Christopher Lloyd is a villain. Cool. But I kind of heard like it's it. I was almost expecting him to say, Marty, get back to the DeLorean. We have to go to 1955 or whatever. Like, like I, I like he was talking that way. He was I was like, oh, wow, that is so distracting. And because there was no Doc Brown frame of reference, they were like, good, leave it in. We'll we'll use that. That's good. Um, Rod, you were saying his Klingon was perfect, excellent, fine, cool. Again, I'm watching this. I don't want to read the subtitles. I don't want to see Christopher Lloyd going, huh. Doc, Biff, Doc, yeah, or however Klingon. That was perfect, John. Uh, no, that was John great. What are you talking about? Klingon, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, so I'm like, hey, all right. So that was that was saying Christopher Lloyd could have done better. That in, in, in Klingon. Um, yeah, I, you know, Rod, you were saying Christopher. You know, the the villain, the villain was great. The idea of that villain was great. He will stop at nothing to get the Genesis plans. I want the Genesis plans. Tell me where the Genesis plans are. Like, whatever. And, you know, he was stopping at nothing, and he was just kind of doing what it was that he did. And he had this animatronic, like, wolf dog thing. <laughs> and when he he walked away, and he was like, feed him! And the dog was just like, eh. and, it, and it reminded me of Ghostbusters, the way that that dog looked. <laughs> I was like, same okay. year. That was that. Ghostbusters came out one week later yeah. after one this week movie later. came out. What, was it yep. the same? Was it the same people who made the, the dog? Uh, Ghostbusters. Uh, yes, Industrial Light yeah. and Magic did everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this was this was the year. This was one of their banner years. Right. Except mm. here's the difference. In Ghostbusters, that's a silly, stupid comedy, and you don't need the 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 scary looking ghost dog guy to look super real or even really let's admit it you don't need it to look super intimidating because it's supposed to be funny that dog did not look intimidating to me it just looked i, I think it was i think it was a comic relief i think that was, was it, the intention was it a comic it was. i think so I, I, I think so i think so i i, I did not pick that up at okay. all I, it, it seemed fine. like it was it seemed like it was supposed to be like okay this villain is so sadistic and sick that he has this guy with the sharp teeth and the slimy skin as a pet and and it's like he's sitting on his throne kind of like stroking the dog like you know your very typical villain except that none of it was falling into place for me i was just sort of like when do i get to see christopher lloyd being intimidating leonard nimoy hired him because he was so impressed with his work that i'm like you would think that he would have said, hey, do something a little bit different. Not that. Not, don't be Reverend Jim. 
be mm-hmm. a villain. <laughs> but so anyway, um, yeah, I'm on Team Kyle on this one. <laughs> okay. All right. So what I'm going to say is when I put the pin in, I, I think a lot of it had to do, for me, a lot of it had to do with a couple of things. One, one is frame of reference, but let me put a pin in that. With frame of reference, it's so I went into the 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 next time that I watched when I watched Search for Spock to prepare for this podcast. It had been a while, and my expectations were also very low because I remember not only not only did I remember how I felt about it in the past, but it's also oh yeah, and then there's the Search for Spock. It's a movie that just kind of is there and exists. Mm -hmm. But on my rewatch, I really really enjoyed it and appreciated it much more for what it is. But also. He was a rebel Klingon, Krug. Um, he was sent to retrieve Genesis, I think, for the Klingon Empire, but he was intending to do it all himself. So that's why, right off the bat, he'd be acting more like Reverend Jim than a typical Klingon, because he's not a typical Klingon. He's a crazy, self-centered... I mean, like that isn't even honorable, as Rod could tell you. The whole thing with Klingons is about honor. And he yep. was not honorable. He let his freaking wife die at the beginning there. It was his wife or his partner or whatever. He wiped, he he wiped his wife out. Yeah. He's like, okay, well, you died nobly with nothing. He's just stone-faced on it. And that's – I really had a new appreciation myself for Krug because of frame of reference from other Klingons. He is just so subtly vile – and I can maybe – whether I agree or not with him portraying it in this, like, Doc Brown way, although I've seen interviews with Christopher Lloyd where he talked about how Krug kind of influenced both Doc Brown and Judge Doom. Oh, it, really? it, it, okay. It's hysterical. It's like, yeah, because, well, because Back to the Future, that was his very next gig right mm-hmm. after Krug as well. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Buckaroo Banzai was, that's the same year, so yeah. It, and uh, so all the the, the uh, nuances that are in this character of Krug, Christopher Lloyd or not, having then watched future Klingons and, you know, the Klingons, as, as you may or may not know, don't remain the greatest threat of the Federation once we get into the, the card era um, because we have Mr. Worf. Mr. Worf is a hero. Mr. Worf is a Klingon. Uh, Deep Space Nine, the Klingons came in and helped fight. So uh, we know that coming, but at the time, as they are the most, I mean, if, if one looks at a frame of reference from six, I think they went out with a bang where we last saw the Klingons evil before, you know, the discovery era where we last saw them pie effect as Rod would say, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Krug, Krug, Krug was a renegade and I had to keep that in mind for watching it the next time, which is why I enjoyed him so much. I thought that he, and you know, and yeah, it predated Doc Brown. So there was no Doc Brown. So it's almost like he right. like, Hey, I could play this Klingon, but nicer, you know, but not, you know, I'm a crazy good scientist where in this I'm a crazy Klingon, you know. So I was mm-hmm. really in my in my reevaluation. So maybe one day in the future, Kyle, I don't know, as you see more Star Trek, I don't know, you ever want to revisit, but that's not me trying to change an opinion in at all. I would I think though my opinion of him, I always thought like, how could that follow Khan? How could they follow Khan with that? Until, you know, a little less greenness in certain things. I guess you could say Star Trek in particular, looking at Krug in a completely different way than I do now. I think he's A-OK, amazing. No, he's no con. For that matter, he's no 
old Dukat. He's no Dominion. He's no Q. You know, he isn't. Even the Borg Queen, he isn't the best Star Trek villain there is. I still, I don't, I wouldn't put him in my top 10 favorite villains at all, but I very much found an appreciation for Krug in my latest critical rewatch. Okay, we're going to get mm -hmm. into ratings. That was a great time, but let's get into ratings. John, what would you give Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock out of 10? Okay, so, you know, I've given other movies like, you know, I gave the last one, what was it, like an eight, 8.5. This one, while it wasn't like the worst movie I've ever seen, I think we all, we can you all agree. Just watch Big Top Pee Wee. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, if you want to give me, if you want a bonus rating, I would actually give Big Top Pee Wee like close to a seven because I, I thought it was a fine movie. I didn't think it was great, but I thought so. But this one, I would probably give, <laughs> okay. I don't know, five and a half, six. Oh, wow. Like okay. Yeah. So it's, mm -hmm. well, so five and a half isn't passing. Six is just about passing. So it's on the cusp yeah. of passing and not passing. Right, right. I didn't, okay. I didn't, I didn't enjoy watching it specifically. Okay. Ex except for when Bones was on the screen. Then I was really entertained. So, yeah. So perhaps Bones' performance edges out the 5.5 and maybe it can earn that six. May maybe I'll give it a six officially because of it's very nice of you okay all right oh. rod what, what oh. do you rate star trek 3 out of 10 well being the uh, the uh, big nostalgic uh, guy out of the uh, out of this bunch uh obviously um it's not gonna be a a five and it's certainly not gonna be a just passing because i know you know from personal experience and from seeing it the first time and remembering from the first time that it's more than just passing. So I'm definitely giving it like a, a seven. No, I'm giving it an eight, a solid eight. I'm going to solid eight hey, for Rob. nostalgia and for acting and for, and for uh, the, you know, the, the, it's, it's significance in yeah. terms of the story and, mm -hmm. and advancing character. Well, Hey, yeah, Nimoy and Bennett, Actor. they new story structure there. Yeah. 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 And uh, Kyle, your rating of star Trek three out of 10. So like I said, I was really trying to figure out where this existed in the three out of the three films that I've seen. I think I gave The Undiscovered Country uh, an eight and a half. I gave Wrath of Khan an eight. Um, there wasn't really any point in this movie that I was bored or unimpressed. I really liked the writing. I love the writing, I should say. And I really like the character development. And that's what draws me to these films over and over again. And I, I think while I'm going to give it exactly the same rating, I think it just edges out Khan. So I'm going to give it an eight, but I think it's slightly better than Wrath of Khan. <coughs> 8.1. Interesting. 8. Interesting. <laughs> All very fair ratings for this. Okay, guys, uh, I don't know if you'll understand this. I don't know if anyone will understand this. As a outside movie watcher, I'm going to give this a 6.5. As a casual movie watcher, it's a 6.5. In the That's Star Trek universe, yes. And in the Star Trek world, and for the fan that I am, and for how it grew over the years, and for where it fits into the franchise, it's a 7. It's a 7 for me. So there's, I guess, two perspectives of the search for Spock for me. Um, okay. Well... That concludes our 
Star Trek 3 review Star Trek Day show. So, of course, it is time for plugs. And uh, we're going to start with you, Rod. When you are not here talking about Star Trek uh, and all things Star Trek, where could folks find you? Well, when I'm not uh, speaking of things uh, Star Trek, I'm basically working on various projects as a uh, as an AV consultant and a theater consultant. And I'm developing a, uh, well, right now I'm back to getting back into theater with uh, Tales of the Black Veil. Uh, it's a original vampire uh, uh, showcase uh, featuring, obviously, uh, various types of uh, scenes involving vampires. And I'm hoping to have one coming up in the fall. Uh, that hopefully will be on Broadway. I'll be starting out as an industry reading, but then we'll also be... Uh, coming out as a uh, full-out uh, Broadway play in the, next, in the following year. But uh, in the meantime, uh, you can just always go to uh, YouTube, uh, youtube.com, uh, and just look for Rod Barnes, uh, Tales of the Black Veil. And, uh, oh, you can also look on you on uh, uh, Facebook. We also have Tales of the Black Veil on Facebook. Uh, just go by Tales of the Black Veil and uh, just watch all your information on that and uh, get in touch with me on how you can get involved with that. And uh, that's my plug for now. Next, I'm, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call John's bluff there. I know you said you were thinking like I might be called for that Tales of the Black Veil. I think John's phone yep. uh, thing. John, would you like to be called for Tales of the Black Veil? I don't know. I was just mocking what you were doing. So I just... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John, I'm your plugs. I'm talking to you next. I'm keeping you... Kyle last for a reason. Talk to me. Keep Kyle S for a reason. You know, you know, yes. I guess, you know, you, you, you save, save the handsomest for last. So anyway, oh, thank you so much. Well, of course, yeah, of course, yes. you know, uh, you should see. Ooh, he beat the beard. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yes, John Seymour on Facebook, J-O-N space S-E-Y-M-O-U-R sitting behind a drum set wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt. Uh, I have my own podcasts, two podcasts. One is yes. Bullshit. One is called Bullshit Hour with John Seymour. That has actually been used for uh, a bit more kind of specific topic matter lately. I do intend to get back into the bullshit format. Um, but, you know, for now, I'm doing, uh, you know, like some kind of movie stuff, shows, whatever. Uh, I also do have a very specific podcast called The Hour of Comics is Upon Us. Now, Kyle was on the last one about the death of Superman. And that was his first time reading a comic book at all. So that was a fun time. And, and a lot of firsts for Kyle in this family, isn't it? <laughs> Kyle, right? Yeah, what a virgin. <laughs> Greg, Greg, your very own Greg Vorab will be featured on the next episode, which we will be recording September 13th. That will be about the first appearance of Joker. 1940, I believe it was. Uh, yeah. Batman number one, first appearance of Joker. And so we're very excited to be doing that one. And of course, uh, Keith Bliss and Jason Gurren are the co-hosts on that show. So it's always a four-panel bit, which is a lot of fun. Anyone who wants to be on the show, that includes you, Rod, and DJ Nick, uh, who is uh, silent. In, through all this has also DJ Nick has been on the show and I hope to have him on again Rod Barnes of course 
If you have anything you'd like to talk about, please reach out to me. I want to get as many of these done as I possibly can because it is so much fun and it's so much fun to hear what people have to say about these comics because they're more than just colorful panels. People have stuff to say about it and it's a lot of fun. So the hour of comics is upon us on that one. And uh, that's Ooh. it for me. Um, I, I think D I'm glad you mentioned DJ Nick because I'm sure he was shocked to find out I'm going to be in a Batman uh, based episode. And, <laughs> oh, shocked. shocked. Absolutely. Yes. I'm sure he was shocked. 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 I tell you, uh, uh, Kyle, where can folks find you? Um, you can find me at Kyle Bain on Facebook and Bain Some Reviews everywhere else. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, my website where I review a lot of films, a lot of indie films, and uh, at my podcast on YouTube and Spotify of the same name, Bain's Film Reviews, where I primarily sit down with indie filmmakers and actors and writers and chat about their films. But uh, occasionally I have some really cool people on on that show uh, that aren't filmmakers necessarily, but I consider friends. I've had John on, I've had Greg on, and Rod, I'd love to have you on as well. So whenever you're ready, let me know what you want to talk about. We'll talk about it. Okay. And that's it. Yes, but I was I was on as a friend, but also one of those fellow filmmakers. Yes. yes. Uh, let's make that clear. Um, so Kyle, I would, I would imagine that at, uh, something else I wanted to point out uh, Star Trek three, uh, and as soon as it's ready, I would put it in these liners. So, liner notes. I'm sorry. Star Trek three will have a written review. Yes, on, on yep, your uh, site. And from yes, what I will. understand, <laughs> I think you know where I was going with that. Star Trek four. While you were not in the Star Trek four episode here, Star Trek four people could look out for a uh, a review of that, uh, but but in written form. Correct. Excellent, excellent. Okay, let's put another pin in Kyle. Let's come back to him. Let, let's come back to him for another reason. John, would you help me, yes. please, with my next uh, with my next plug? Okay. Tell the world. I'm taking you off guard here. I'm putting you on the spot, and I'm taking you off guard. Tell the world what Aaron Cloutier does. Aaron Cloutier, he like writes jingles for people. Right. And, and uh, songs. Yes. And songs. Songs and jingles. If you have something you want to, hey, I want a song about, you know, my, um, uh, my 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 makeup applier thing here. I don't know what whatever this is. I'm uh I'm at my fiance's table, and that's just the only thing that I'm able to think of right now. <laughs> but if you want a song about that, tell Aaron. Tell Aaron, say like, hey, look, I have this thing that you apply makeup with and here's the details about it. Write a song for me and he'll do that. And uh, yeah, you kind of are catching me off guard. So I don't know any other details. Oh, oh, no, no. That was it. That was <laughs> yes. the details because Aaron has already written the ever popular guys. I'm not making this up. The Trouble with Tribble song that was written for this podcast has gone around now in the Star Trek fandom, and there everybody. What's the what's the word the kids are using these days? It is a viral. It's a bop. viral. It is it is viral. Yeah, people are loving this, and and we are it's actually fire. next season on in season two officially. It's going to be our opening theme song. Uh, nice. Aaron approved, of course. Yes. Um, so what we did recently, Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast, was run a contest where a Star Trek fan, listener of the show, could pick out 
uh, a subject in the entire franchise of Star Trek for Aaron to write a song about. It was a little bit of a challenge. It was a little bit of a contest. It was fun. And they picked the Tribbles. The winner picked the Tribbles. And Aaron wrote that song. And you can hear that, folks, on our platform. Just go to the episode, The Winning Song. And uh, it is You Hear the Trouble with Tribbles by Aaron Coutier. He could do that for you, too. And I just wanted to I would be remiss if I didn't mention that if you go and look at the stuff on his website. So that's your custom See how you could get your own personal song done. It will be uh, only a series of three questions that he asks. He'll get it. But right now you join his mailing list. You'll get a coupon code for 10 percent off. That's great. Nice. So that's what Aaron's up to. Okay, a pair cool. of announcements. One announcement. Listen, wait, wait, wait. One... Hold, hold, hold yes. on a second, Greg, because because I do I do just want to say that Aaron is a, is a good friend of mine. Yes. And so and and so I want to say I'm not just promoting some random stranger that you're talking about, Aaron. Uh, Aaron and I actually lived together for about three weeks when uh, when I was moving out of my place and he moved in. You know, he was and he was a great roommate, great great guy. So he is someone that you want to give your money to because he does quality work. I've seen him work. I have seen what he does and he takes it very, very seriously. So, uh, you know, you, you, you will not regret it if you hire him to write a song for you. That's all right. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Announcement. Number one is an announcement, but not the announcement. So, and folks bear with me cause I'm, I'm going to be very honest here. I am reading this. So something new to announce tonight is that we now accept listener donations. These are donations simply to keep our lights on, so to speak, so we can keep bringing you this show. We are basically making like PBS now. However, as they do it for quality programming, we're doing it. We're doing it to keep this podcast on the air. We have expenses, and all we ask is you, the listeners, to consider to donate $1, $5, or $10 a month and become one of our sponsors. As we gather more sponsors, we are going to be offering special gifts to our donors, special donor-only episodes, and you know what? You get an IMDb credit for doing this. Some people really, really want one of those. They are seen as coveted. Maybe others don't, but hey, you know, people would die for an IMDb credit. So there, you get one. And we already want to say a big thank you to longtime listener, friend, and past guest of our show, Robert Youngren, for being our first donor as of this episode's recording time. So a big thanks That's to me. Robert. A round, of, a round of applause for Robert. And if you want to be like the great Robert Youngren and support this podcast so we can keep bringing it to you, just go to the liner notes of wherever you get this podcast in the podcast description, hit the support link, and you're right there. But that, again, is the announcement and not the big announcement. And the big announcement is a personnel change here at Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. No, nobody is departing, is that we are now, as of now, yes, it's as of any show going forward, welcoming as a regular panelist to the movie episodes, Mr. Kyle Bain. Oh, yeah. Kyle, congratulations! This is this has been um, a long time coming. Kyle made his uh, debut on the show. Um, I think it exceeded everybody's expectations. Kyle, did you have anything to say about joining the family as regular movie contributor? Well, like I said at the start of the episode, two months ago I had never seen uh, anything Star Trek, and now I am going to be continuing on this podcast as a regular. So that is pretty incredible, and thank you so much for having enough faith in me to have me on regularly 
to talk about something that is so near and dear to your heart. <laughs> Thank you. Near and dear to our hearts. And it's it's near and dear to our hearts to have yes. you on. So thank you so much, Kyle. Yes, any movie reviews going forward, Kyle Bain will be here. So, folks, that wraps up our Star Trek Day bonus show. Keep an eye out on all the places you can find us for next bonus shows. And wink, 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 that may be coming sooner than later. We're going to end transmission now, but how do you keep informed of bonus shows between now and season two? And where do you find the team? Well, that's why we're handing it over to Dan Martin right now so that he could tell you just that. Thanks again. Thanks to all our guests tonight, Kyle, John, and Rod, and everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. All right. Good night. Thank Good you. night. Good night. Live long and prosper. Thank you for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Find our team members, Greg Vorob, on Facebook, G-R-E-G-V-O-R-O-B, on YouTube at Greg Vorob, on Twitter at Greg underscore Vorob. Also, check out MSV Podcast Presents The Fake and the Whimsy. Daniel Hawley on Facebook, H-U-L-L-E-Y, and on Twitter at bland underscore dull underscore don't. Ken Radner on Facebook, K-E-N-R-A-D-N-E-R. And me, Dan Martin, at BasemanDanMartin3700 on YouTube. And you can also join me on WHMI.com weeknights, 7 p.m. to 10 Eastern Time, and Saturday afternoons, 3 p.m. to 7 Eastern Time. Livingston County's own Classic Hits. Find this podcast on Facebook at the groups Star Trek Fans United and Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Like us on Facebook at Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. On Twitter at STTU Podcast. Or shoot us an email to sttupodcast at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. And until next time, live long and prosper.